The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. <clears throat> I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we come to you with information that is important for you as a healthcare consumer so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and be able to understand all that's going on in healthcare in this country. Um, the um, uh, problems just are insurmountable, it seems, and they keep getting worse and worse, and we try to sort this out for you and put some context behind what is happening in healthcare, information that you won't receive from mainstream media or newspapers because nobody is talking about these issues. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Um, we uh, are in desperate need of your help. We need you to continue to support what we're doing, both on this radio show and nationally, when we are out there fighting for your healthcare freedom and for the doctor-patient relationship. Two things that are in dire, um, that that are in severe jeopardy, that um, are uh, on the uh, precipice of uh, being taken away from you forever. And if uh, we don't have people who are fighting for that on your behalf, then you might as well just uh, call it quits because you are not going to get the health care that you have been used to. So you need to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation at www.d4pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. And uh, make a recurring $10 <clears throat> monthly contribution, $15, $20 <clears throat> for the cost of a steak dinner. You can support what we are doing and make some kind of effort <clears throat> to protect your health care freedom. Um, <clears throat> so... I um, do show prep before I come to this show every week, and I um, and I, were, I I try to come up with an interesting topic and something to um, be a little provocative about it or or informative about. And after giving some thought to what I wanted to talk about today, I really didn't uh, know quite how to. Um, put into words how to express my mood these days that I'm having, which is a recent uh, mood swing, a change in my attitude. Um, and today's show basically is entitled, We May Have Reached the Point of No Return. I realize that so many of my shows have focused on the dark side, um, what we're confronting in healthcare or in society, what we are battling against constantly, the direction that our healthcare system is going, which is the wrong direction, 
the direction our country is going in, the direction our society is headed to. These um, these directions are all going um, south. They are all going in the wrong direction. But through it all, despite everything, I have retained my sense of optimism and always believed that there was a small minority, a, a very small minority of fringe individuals that was driving this insanity. And it was my belief that it was just a matter of time until the adults in the room woke up and put a stop to this madness. Well, right now I'm at my low point. And, and I'm not sure that my optimism is realistic anymore. And I don't know if it pays to fight back because the battle may already have been lost. It may be too late to come back from where we are. The left may have succeeded in destroying our republic, in destroying our precious country, our way of life. So why do I feel this way? Well, let's start with election night two days ago. Chicago voted for a new mayor. The city is one of the most violent cities in the United States. I think they stopped keeping track of certain crimes in Chicago because it was just impossible to to uh, calculate the number of carjackings or rapes that occurs in that city. And certainly the murder rate is one of the highest in the country. And this is happening despite some of the harshest gun laws in the United States. Criminals get arrested there, and then they get immediately released to commit even more heinous crimes. The district attorney there, a George Soros puppet, is soft on crime and is in favor of emptying out the prisons. And the people in Chicago, it appeared, were fed up with this. They were fed up with Lori Lightfoot, the absolute joke of a mayor who presided over the steady demise of a once great city with crime and homelessness and drug addiction while she was dancing in the streets and she was making a public spectacle of herself. She was a joke. She was a uh, one of the strongest, quote, defund the police proponents until she wasn't late in her campaign when she tried to appear that she was actually pro-police. So it seemed that the people of Chicago had actually woken up and they were going to make a change. They were going to elect someone who would reverse the current trend and get Chicago moving back in the right direction. Now, granted, there were 
two bad choices for mayor, but one was exceptionally bad. One was a progressive leftist Marxist who was cut from the same cloth as the George Soros DA and from Lori Lightfoot. And there was no difference in ideology with this fellow and the people who have already been in power in Chicago. Just maybe a different approach. Yet Chicagoans, instead of stopping this, and they had the ability to turn things around, chose to stay the course and re-elect a Marxist leftist um, ideologue who is not going to change the course of Chicago. So what does that say about what people are thinking, what they're willing to do? How, how bad does it have to get before people are going to wake up and decide that this is not right, that this is not the way they want to live? In Colorado... There was an open seat on the Supreme Court. And this seat has been held by a Republican and a conservative for some time. Not anymore. Coloradans decided to elect a liberal Democrat. The makeup of the court is changing in Colorado, just as the makeup of the congressional delegations from Colorado and D.C. are, just like the state representatives in Colorado are, and just like the mayors of the largest cities like Denver or Boulder are. And here again, the same problems that plague Chicago are present in these cities. Homelessness, crime, drug addiction, especially drug addiction, where they've were the first place in the country to legalize open marijuana use, and I'm actually a pro-legalization person because I think that as a conservative leaning toward a libertarian, that you should just not not criminalize personal behavior in people's houses. But when it becomes a public problem, that's when it is a major issue. And it certainly is in Colorado, in, in many of the cities there. Now, a rational person would think that Coloradans who are watching their communities deteriorate would say to themselves, this giant leftist experiment is not working for me or for my family or it's not working for my community. So you would think that they would stop putting these same people into power. But instead, they ignore what is right in front of their very noses, and they are voting to put the very people into power that are causing these problems to perpetuate the issue. I like to think back to New York City in the 1960s to the 1980s. I I lived in New York at the time. And New York 
sucked. It was horrible. After decades of Democrat mayoral leadership, it was a city in decay. Garbage was not getting picked up. Crimes were rampant. The murder rate was up. It was not a safe city. You had um, people who were walking the streets, who were threatening innocent people, just going about their own business. It was the Wild West. I couldn't wait to get out of New York, and I did. But a funny thing happened in New York at about the um, about that time in the 1980s. The city appeared to hit rock bottom. And people were sick of it. And so New Yorkers spoke at the ballot box. And they said no more to these Democrats and to their failed policies. And so what happened? They elected Rudy Giuliani for two terms. They elected um, Bloomberg for three terms. And what was the result was a revitalization of New York. They enforced laws. They supported the police. They cleaned up the streets. New York became safe again. It became the safest large city in the country. And everybody wanted to um, be in New York, either to visit or to live. Well, funny thing happens, and that is that when people grow up, they the people who are young people who have been brainwashed and who have been indoctrinated in government schools become voters. And they have no institutional memory. Plus, people come in from all over the country who are um, who have no no knowledge about the way things were before and who flock to places where they uh, the people there have the same belief systems that they do the liberal elitist belief system and so everything that was bad about New York in the 60s and in the 70s, were being brought back because people who had no institutional memory about how bad things were were voting for people on the far left who were promising all kinds of crazy garbage and they were undermining all the good that was done in 20 years of Republican leadership. And New York now is once again in demise and disrepair, and there's no end to this in sight. So I don't think that we as conservatives stand a chance. There are too many young people who have been indoctrinated by these government schools And too many who have been brainwashed into believing that 
policing is a bad thing or that the conservative mores of our past, which have sustained us and allowed our country to flourish, are bad things, and we need to be ashamed of them, and we need to make amends for them. These young people are not open to independent thought. They are like lemmings who follow the leader and the loudest voices. And you've got this vocal, small, leftist minority that are able to create the narrative by which everyone who is in the middle is now following because they don't want to be shamed and they don't want to be vilified and they don't want to be doxxed. And more and more people who are conservatives from blue strongholds are moving to the left because they are not wanting to fight back. We're seeing this every day in every way of life. So this other massive issue that has gotten me down is this Trump indictment. This is such a travesty on so many levels. It's actually anti-American. It's anti-American because you have a two-bit DA who is is really uh, just coming from a small jurisdiction. Yes, Manhattan, the DA of Manhattan is a large jurisdiction because there's a lot of people there but in the in the scope of an entire country it is small potatoes and yet you've got the tail wagging the dog and you've got this guy who is trying to make a name for himself and be the one who is going to take down the leading presidential candidate on on and I don't mean this as a double entendre but on trumped up on made up charges and bastardizing our judicial system to use it as a political weapon. And this is political terrorism. It is judicial malpractice. Now, I'm not a Trump supporter, nor am I a Trump hater. I love what he's done, but I have some serious heartburn about the man and his bombast and his narcissism But for crying out loud, if you're an umpire, call balls and strikes consistently and don't be a partisan. Don't be someone who is going to try to get someone because you don't like them. That hurts everybody. What troubles me is the following. There are now two systems of justice in the United States. One for conservatives and an entirely different one for leftists. Crimes worse than what Trump is doing, which is at worst a white collar crime using, um, money to, um, that is intended as a non-disclosure to silence someone during a political campaign. Crimes far worse than that go unpublished and unpublicized and are very quickly forgotten. 
Obama did far worse than that during his campaign, and all that they sustained was a fine. No, no, uh, uproar in the media and no, and certainly no DA coming after him trying to throw him in prison. Hillary Clinton, my God, did so f- much worse than that. And she's now running around even making noise about another presidential run. And of course, Hunter Biden and the entire Biden family, what they have done is possibly subversive to this country. It may be treason. And it's just, it's just kind of being ignored. But the Democrat leadership who knows that what's happening to Trump is wrong will not speak out against it. And they either have Trump derangement syndrome, which yes, is real, or they are happy that they've got a fall guy who is Alvin Bragg, the DA of Manhattan, who is trying to take Trump out of the game. They're willing to just be silent and sit on the sidelines and let the chips fall where they may. Many of these Democrat leaders, like Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi, are going on record with the standard Democrat talking point, which is that, quote, no one is above the law, not even an ex-president, end quote. And then everyone repeats this line. They all hate Trump so much that they fail to consider the consequences of crossing the Rubicon, which they have done. Because this same justice will come back to haunt them. And um, apparently now there's no statute of limitations for anything that you do. Because certainly what Trump did has been something that is so far in the past and so far exceeded the statute of limitations that no court would reasonably even consider bringing up these charges once again. They haven't until now. But if you want to get somebody bad enough, you can figure out how to do it. It's just a matter of perverting the law in your favor to do so. And it will it will come back to haunt them. Everybody remembers when the Democrats decided to get rid of the filibuster rule to get the federal judges that Obama wanted to appoint fast-tracked into the federal judicial system. Well, that came back to haunt them in spades when they no longer had the filibuster ability for Supreme Court justices. So what the Democrats do to try to bend the rules to their will will ultimately be used against them at some point, and it will be used against them. Another point regarding this whole Trump fiasco is that we look like a third world nation now, not the leaders of the free world. Obama wanted to drag us down because he said that we were a country that was too proud. He was an America hater. At least we know his wife is an America hater because she freely admitted it. 
Biden, who is surrounded by Obama sycophants and Obama loyalists and who are likely pulling the strings behind the scenes for the puppet Joe Biden, who is a demented old man, has succeeded where Obama couldn't. He has diminished our standing in the world. And this Trump episode gives our enemies even more fodder to lure our friends away from us and into their sphere of influence. And I'm talking about China specifically. And they are preparing for war against us. And I know, I mean physical war. They've already been at war with us for decades. They've been warring against us in, in intellectual property. They've been at war with us in terms of, um, the, um, harnessing of, um, rare earth materials that are necessary for the technology that we are so dependent on. They've been at war with us on every single front except for the physical, um, uh, conventional aspect of war. But it is by the estimation of some of our generals something that is coming. It's on the horizon. And this episode gives the enemy more credibility and diminishes our credibility. Um, if you look at what China is doing in our hemisphere alone, befriending Brazil, befriending Honduras, countries in our backyard, they are um, making alliances with these countries. Brazil is going to trade in the yuan and instead of in the dollar. The dollar is is the reserve currency for the world, and China is trying to supplant that. And they are going to succeed because the countries that have been our friends in the past, and incidentally countries which still, to this day, despite becoming allied, allied with China, are still receiving billions of dollars from the United States in aid, in foreign aid. But when we give foreign aid to these countries, Honduras, Brazil, we don't expect anything in return. We don't get anything. When China gives money to these countries, there's a quid pro quo. They expect something in return. They're getting mining rights for raw materials in these countries. They are getting access to strategic ports and building ports and putting military capability in these ports in our very backyard. Now now a leftist may say, well, what about us with Japan or with South Korea? Well, it's very different with us and with China because we support democracy and freedom around the world. With China, they are totalitarian and they put their own people in indoctrination camps 
and over the course of the last um, 75 years have murdered over a 100 million of their own people. So to compare us with China is is very, very disingenuous. And um, and so when we have a, a system of justice that is a kangaroo court and perverts our our moral system of equal justice under the law, it allows our, quote, friends around the world to question whether or not we are the country that we once were, whether or not we are the reliable partners that they've counted on, and they go to the to the um, side, the dark side. They go to China, and it's not just in this hemisphere. It's happening in Africa. It's happening happening in the Middle East. The Trump administration brokered the Abraham Accords, which united all of the Arab countries and Israel together against Iran, one of the biggest threats on this planet. Now, in the Biden administration, the Saudi Arabians have gone ahead and cozied up to Iran and China because they can't be sure that the United States is the reliable partner that they thought it was going to be under the Trump administration. And finally, well, we are at a hard break, I think, right now, but I want to tell you the last the last part of what has happened in this Trump fiasco that has put me in such a funk. So stay with us, and I will be back with you in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back in the doctor's lounge, and I'm uh, being a Debbie Downer today because I'm uh, sharing with you my feelings about how we may be on the verge of losing everything that we know and we hold precious. And this uh, Trump... 
uh, indictment has uh, sparked my concern on various levels, which I've just shared with you. But the final one is that one would hope that the entire Trump indictment would wake people up and get them to realize how tenuous our republic is and how a clown of a DA can subvert our legal system and manipulate it to attack a political enemy. But I am now convinced that people will not wake up just like in Chicago and just like in Colorado. Their hatred for Trump will overshadow their common sense that what is happening is wrong on so many levels and dangerous to our country and jeopardizes it domestically and abroad, as I've shared with you in the last segment, and that the people who are responsible for this should never again, never again be entrusted with the political power to make decisions that affect our country and that affect you and I as citizens on a daily basis. But come next election day, the people will forget and they will do just as they have done in Chicago and in Colorado and we will continue to head down this abyss. So I apologize for being such a downer But that's the funk that I'm in right now, and I am trying to get out of this, and I'm having a hard time. So how does all of this relate to health care, which is the subject of this show? Well, let let me tell you. With these Marxists in power, the damage that will be done to our health care system the damage that has already been done to our healthcare system will be devastating to most people. Our healthcare system will be unrecognizable. The damage will be done overtly through laws and through executive orders, and it will be done covertly through policy attitudes and pushing agendas. Now, what do I mean about pushing agendas? Well, there are a number of issues that the left is embracing that are, um, that involve healthcare issues and the left is making the best efforts to drive opinion and hence policy. And this affects every one of us. Take transgenderism. This is something that I harp on on a regular basis. I have no gripe with an adult who believes that they are the wrong gender. And no gripe against an adult who wants to defile their bodies and do something to make a change, to make themselves feel better about what their brain is telling them. The libertarian in me says, go for it. Who am I to tell you that you cannot do something to yourself? If you want to do that, you have every single right to do so. I do have a problem when less than zero 
point zero one percent of the population tries to ram something down my throat and everyone else's and tells me that I'm a bigot, that I'm a bad person, that everything needs to change to cater to them. There there should be no discrimination of people for any reason. I am a fervent believer in that. But to equate what the transgender movement is trying to do as a civil rights issue is absolutely patently absurd. Let me share with you some recent goings-on in this subject. This is a war between a tiny group of activists and the large number of people who have been bullied into supporting these people and the people who have traditional values. So the the radical left has taken the people in the middle who don't want to be bullied, who don't want to push back against these people, and instead of standing up, they're going along with it because they feel that they are going to get vilified, they're going to be protested against, they're going to be um, made into examples and pilloried in the public square. And so they jump on board that bandwagon. And this is the slippery slope that we are on right now because it's it's very hard to push that rock back uphill. People are now being ostracized or they are being vilified if they don't embrace and celebrate this movement. People who do not believe that everything needs to change for this fringe group of individuals are now viewed as the bad people. And it all started with bathrooms. And it's grown. It's grown into mutilating children and putting drag queen shows on for preschoolers. And corporate America has embraced transgenderism and is celebrating it in ad campaigns ranging from cosmetics to consumer products. Last week, Budweiser put a transgender influencer, Dylan... Mulcahy as one of the spokespeople for its beer, for Bud Light. They put this person on cans and replaced bikini-clad women who are looked at by the consumers that Budweiser is actually reaching out to and instead putting a transgender woman, a man who's turned into a woman, as the face of Bud Light, what what are they even thinking? Are they are they trying to ostracize their their consumer base? Kid Rock bought cases of Bud Light 
and he set it up on a fence and he started shooting at those cans with this transgender person on it and uh, to make a statement he put it on YouTube some of the um, uh, country western singers like Travis Tritt is taking is taking Anheuser-Busch off of its its uh, sponsorship list there is a backlash and yet despite this Nike yesterday um, signed this transgender person this transgender influencer on to promote their sports bras this is this is just absolutely insane Budweiser you know if you just just as an aside are called the king of of beers they're going to have to change their their uh, calling card to something else after this and the media is protecting this narrative and the recent school shooter who will go unnamed by me but the shooter in Nashville the transgender male to female who published a manifesto um, which we've not seen because the media didn't want to see what crazy garbage this person was spewing because her brain was all out of whack and was planning on multiple shooting sprees. The media is protecting this this person and the LGBTQ community because this inflammatory language in this manifesto is going to be troubling for their narrative. On TikTok, there was a call to arms for transgender individuals to go buy guns and commit acts of violence. And we've not heard too much about that from the mainstream media, have we? Because that would hurt that narrative that they're trying to push so, so hard on everyone else about this being a civil rights issue. In Australia, last weekend, Brianna Gill, a transgender male to female, won an LGPA event in New South Wales, the Australian Women's Classic. Can you can you explain to me how a man is allowed to compete in a women's event? And we all know about Leah Thomas, who broke all NCAA swimming records, being allowed to swim in women's events, a man who converted to a woman. And this has all been celebrated here in the United States. More power to these transgender women who are coming out who are competing and who are making making a name for equality come on now this is just this is wrong where are the feminists who have fought for years and years for equality in pay in women's sports for television rights in women's sports there's radio silence from these people. Crickets. They are not speaking out. Why? I don't know. 
they're afraid of becoming targets or or worse do they actually support this something that is so antithetical to what they fought for their entire lives there is a little bit of pushback the world world athletics which is the governing body for track and field has correctly ruled that any transgender female male to female who has gone through male puberty is ineligible to compete in international competition. And um, this issue is getting pushed back from the left, as you might imagine. But this is absolutely correct, because as I have um, elaborated on on this show in the past, when a, a man goes through puberty, there are changes to their internal organs, their heart, um, their muscles that um, no amount of hormones or no kind of surgery can outdo and they will outperform a biological female um, in almost every case. So kudos to world athletics, but this is this is the battle that is being waged. The biggest war, however, is in state capitals where legislatures are pushing back on gender transitioning in children. And you've heard me go off on this over and over again. And this is where the battle line needs to really be drawn. More than half of the states have tried to pass restrictions on transgender treatments to minors. And Georgia being the the most recent one, um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, Virginia, they um, they uh, had a, a a bill that passed the House that requires public school employees to inform parents if a student identifies as the opposite sex. But it's stuck in the in the Senate, and and this bill is important because um, teachers have been found to be aiding and abetting minors in transitioning from one sex to another without their parents' knowledge, and so this whole movement is anti-family. It is um, undermining parental rights, parental controls over their minor children. I can't take a wart off of a child without getting a surgical consent from the parent if the child is under 18. And yet you've got places around the country that are allowing children to receive puberty blockers and hormones. Now, I don't think they're getting gender reaffirming surgery without parental consent, but certainly puberty blockers and hormones without their parents' knowledge. The Iowa Senate just passed a bathroom and locker room ban which is stuck now in their legislature. 
The Utah governor signed a bill, so this is a law, restricting hormonal transgender treatments, and it allows individuals to actually bring medical malpractice actions against doctors who administer these treatments. And I think that that's actually the right thing to do, despite the fact that these medical societies now run by leftist Marxists are embracing this transgender movement. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. The Missouri Attorney General, and this is going into now the legal realm, is investigating Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital because the probe discovered that when a group of fifth grade girls identified as transgender, a clinician at this clinic advised the teachers to affirm the identities of these girls and not question them without their parents' knowledge. Michigan legislators have introduced Bill HB 4257, which would classify gender transitioning to minors as a first-degree child abuse offense. And this is pushing back against a bill that has been introduced into the Michigan legislature, which would codify gender identity as a privileged class. Again, a civil rights issue. Georgia just passed a law that prohibits minors from receiving hormones and puberty blockers and surgery, and it criminalizes doctors who do this. Now, I was involved in this because I needed to push back because there needed to be exceptions because as a pediatric urologist and someone who's involved in the care of children with gender issues. I see children um, all the time who have what's called precocious puberty. And that is children who have hormonal imbalances that allow their bodies to produce hormones before the actual age at which they're supposed to be doing so. And so they develop adult-sized genitalia, they will have growth of pubic hair, but more importantly, they if you don't stop their puberty when this is recognized and let their bodies, cat their age catch up to their bodies, they will be short individuals, very short, because their bone uh, their bones will fuse before they're supposed to. It's called the epiphyseal plates. And they're supposed to, the bones are supposed to enlarge and grow, and that's how people attain their true um, adult height. But if they have puberty too early, those epiphyseal plates will close early, and these will be short individuals, five feet, five feet two. And it's, it's a real problem. That's a, more, a bigger problem psychologically for them. And so puberty blockers are administered to these children and should 
to um, stop their early puberty, and that needs to be protected. You can't criminalize a doctor who gives a puberty blocker for that. um, Conversely, I give hormones to children for different reasons. If I have a, a, a baby who has what's called a micro penis, a small penis, we like to um, use hormones, testosterone, to help that penis enlarge so that it will be a, a functional organ for them and not just a tiny little um, nubbin of tissue. So there are... There are actual medical reasons, but unfortunately, in medicine, when you get fringe ideas, it can be perverted, and it can be um, uh, used in ways that it shouldn't be, and that's what this bill in Georgia is intended to do, to prevent that from happening. Now, you've got states that are horrible. You've got Minnesota which is following in the footsteps of California and becoming a sanctuary state for child transgender transitioning. And the governor in in Minnesota signed a bill explicitly transforming Minnesota into a sexual transitioning tourism state. It allows children to travel there for, quote, gender-affirming services, end quote. And children in Minnesota now have the right to receive puberty blockers, hormones, and breast and genital reconstructive surgery without their parents' consent. So this is um, the one of the uh, first places in the country, other than California, that's allowing this. Now, gender neutrality, trying to just get gender out of the conversation has actually been embraced by the CDC, the Center for um, Disease, the Center for uh, Diseases. It's for communicable diseases. It's erasing the male man and female women um, labels from accepted public health discourse. And this coincides with a pushback to facilitate, quote, gender affirming care. So the states that have now enacted legislation that will protect children are Arkansas, Florida, Tennessee, Utah, and Georgia, with many more states set to follow suit. I like this quote from Harley Price, a PhD and a lecturer at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. And uh, Dr. Price said, quote, political ideologues want to change language in order to alter our perception of reality. To the unindoctrinated, it is obvious that all of the linguistic inversions of the progressive left are designed to make what has always struck some people as repellent and grotesque seem sound, normal, wholesome, and uplifting. Leftist politicians are willing to butcher the bodies of young people to spare them, quote, mental discomfort, end quote, end quote. And finally, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, she's a black conservative, 
anesthesiologist in California, also a lawyer, has been very outspoken on all of these social issues, particularly on transgenderism. And she's thrown down the gauntlet against the doctors who are embracing this. People who are on the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She has called out doctors and she said, quote, we as physicians must speak the truth. There is no such ethical medical treatment as, quote, gender affirming care, end quote. Plastic surgery does not change a man into a woman or a woman into a man. To promote and or perpetuate in bodily mutilation and transforming normal bodily functions into abnormal, harmful physiology is antithetical to the Hippocratic Oath in medicine. Certainly to do so in children is immoral and in my view criminal, end quote. And there you have it. So I hope we have not reached the point of no return, but we must try to garner our our will and our hope and, and push back against what we're seeing on a daily basis. Thanks for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge, and we'll be back with you next week, so please join us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.